0: This is an ABC podcast. This episode of off track was recorded by this woman who is not a radio person. She's an academic and an insect person. And she took a recorder with her as she tried to find the highest altitude grasshoppers in Australia. I mean, you've got to catch a ski lift to find these things.
1: Crazy. <laughs> straight
0: from the south. Dr. <laughs> Kate Umbers is a senior lecturer of zoology at the University of Western Sydney. I'm Ann Jones, and because I've been locked down with COVID travel restrictions and difficulties like that, Kate's managed to do part of my job for me. Kate Umbers is just about to take us somewhere else, up a ski lift, right near Mount Kosciuszko.
1: The chameleon skyhopper or the Thermocolor Skyhopper. It's got big black eyes, it's got orange legs, big jumping legs, of course. It's got tiny little wings, can't fly. And in the, the males, their entire body is turquoise. They're pretty cute as far as a grasshopper goes. I think it's the big eyes, the big black eyes, that get you in. But I always forget when I'm away from them for too long, just how small they are. So just, just a couple of centimetres long. They're like little blue popcorn, (laughs) when you're walking through the Alps. It's like uh, walking through little patches of bright blue popcorn. Or merrily, in summer, you can spot the grasshoppers from your chair if you're jumping around. There's a of the Lord of the Rings thing going on over here with the mist, dead trees. <sighs> Just going recap the plan for today. Heading up. <laughs> Good plan. So far, yep. And then gonna dig up more grasshopper eggs. Looking to get about 20 pods and bring some back into the lab, give them some different kinds of artificial winters to figure out how they're gonna go when the when the snow becomes unreliable or disappears altogether. Alright, yeah. here we are. That's <laughs> actually a complete whiteout. So that's minus seven then. I'm thinking it's hot chocolate time. <laughs> Let's have a look. But there's no point in us walking across the at So, this big rocky outcrop on our left is, I don't know if it has a name, but we call it Raven's Haunt because uh, oftentimes there can be hundreds and hundreds of ravens circling it and flying in and out of it. Um, who knows there might be some bogong moths in there during during summer that they, they want to have a go at. Um, it's a very craggy big granite outcrop that's common in the snowy particularly above the tree line. Really dramatic and beautiful and sort of got snow gums nestled in all around. Just, uh, I'm just looking now it's coming down into the tree line from being in the alpine zone to find some poppers. <laughs> so I'm on my way back down the chairlift because it was about minus 10 and complete whiteout at the top. So we got stuck, the chairlift was closed. We had to have a strudel, Um, (laughs) it was tough times, and chats, coffees. And now we're going back down the chairlift to figure out what plan B is for today. Some data analysis next to the fire. So might head out a bit later on at the bottom of the mountain and see if we can find some more eggs. Beautiful. Gorgeous day a full alpine experience. I'm keen to go hunting for more eggs. Yep. Just go check out what's at the bottom of Dead Horse Gap a bit later. I'm uh, just a little bit over 10 weeks pregnant and <laughs> hiking is an elevation is pretty tough growing when you're uh, tough growing (laughs) tough going when you're uh, growing little human gosh I've never been down here in April when it's been so cold usually you can you can still squeeze a field trip in in late April, but not this year. Boy, it is cold and there's no signs of life, insect life, anywhere. <laughs> now I'm sitting by Threadbow River, which is beautiful. The temperature is around about zero where I am at the moment, but. The water is beautifully clear and usually running really fast. and Big granite boulders in the rivers, snow gums of all shapes and sizes light in the rivers, lots of little shrubs, paper daisies, things like that. It's a really beautiful place to spend time. I started working down in the Alps, down here in Kosciuszko National Park, in 2007, when I started my PhD project at Macquarie University, and I chose to come and work here because I thought it was great. (laughs) I didn't have any really good biological reasons for it, I just really like it. I liked the romance of the cold weather and the extreme weather. the snow and I liked the the idea of working in a huge national park six something kilometers long giant beautiful um, you know pretty well many parts are very very remote and I I just I said that to my supervisor and I, oh, I just really want to work in the snowy mountains and she said okay <laughs> and she's pretty wonderful So go on a field trip and see what you find. Go find something to work on. (laughs) As I was exploring the area and figuring out how to get up to the highest elevations and realizing chairlifts are great, I noticed, (laughs) hard not to, the Gasquillion grasshoppers that are around in the peak of summer down here. And I thought, oh yeah, there's some grasshoppers. Okay. Oh wow, one of them changes colour depending on the temperature. That's pretty weird. Sounds interesting. And after a little bit more deliberation, back at the uni, some chats with my supervisors. Yeah, that colour changing grasshopper, that'll be interesting. Let's go with that. That was how I ended up working on this system and in this environment. And it's been, what is that? 14 years, 15 years-ish, on and off working on these guys the chameleon skyhoppers and I've been so lucky, so privileged to be able to come and create new knowledge about these creatures. They about how they changed colour, why they changed colour, and while we were working on them on a the field trip. Um two of the people that were on the field trip with me, Nick Titanic and John Martin, they what they noticed that some males, you know, making lots of movements in the grass and they they came down their walk, said, they fight, they fight. We just saw the males fighting over this female. And I thought, oh, okay, well, a lot of things fight. That's, I mean, it's cool, but okay. And looking into it, oh no, it turns out there are no other grasshoppers that fight. <laughs> so I think right on the spot, we decided to do a study really quickly on just describing their fighting behavior and um, spent the next couple of days working on that, trying to understand. You know how many males are involved in the fights, what kind of behaviours they do in the fights they have this mandible flaring behaviour that makes them look like little lions roaring and um, it's totally brilliant, changing colour and fighting with each other and living ridiculously high elevations uh, uh, but we know that these species, this species has been around up here for about 2 million years and uh, they only, they're only on the, this Kosciuszko Paso, this species the ones that look similar in Victoria are different species. We've recently found out, so just they just have this little tiny range from Mount Jugungle in the north to sort of uh, yeah South Ramshead Range-ish kind of area in the south, and um, been happily persisting up here for a long time. So they're pretty wonderful, um, but turns out that um, they're also potentially susceptible to climate change, given that they only exist above around about 600, 1,650 metres and you find them sort of up to around 2,000 metres. Of course we know that with the Australian mountains things don't have very much further to move if they were to migrate to higher elevation. There's, higher elevations just aren't available. Um, our mountains are pretty short <laughs> and so the species have species will have to figure out some other way to uh, adapt or else not adapt and the boat stint. Mm. So it's going to be and of course in an extremely short time frame. What's to do with this grasshopper, trying to figure out why it's got this amazing natural history but also trying to figure out what's going to happen to it with climate change so that we can uh, potentially protect it and in so doing
0: perhaps protect an important part of the ecosystem that will keep it going Dr Kate Umbers loves these grasshoppers and she's been trekking the Alps studying them for about 15 years despite the cold and despite the very difficult working conditions.
1: Some little everlasting daisies still hanging on despite the early
0: snow. While there are a few species of high altitude hoppers, sky hoppers, there's one colour changing hopper in particular that Kate is searching for or more specifically at the moment, searching for its eggs. One of the species we're interested in is a grasshopper, a
1: skyhopper, called uh, the chameleon skyhopper, Cosriscola tristis. This species lives just for one season as an adult grasshopper. And at this time of year, at the end of autumn, they finish laying their eggs and they all die out, so the adults die at the end of autumn, and the entire species overwinters as eggs in the soil under the snow, and then babies hatch out in that spring or possibly the following spring. We're not exactly sure how many winters they, uh, they need to develop. But because the entire species is eggs under the snow and just a few centimetres into the soil, question is how important is that snow layer for insulating those eggs the snow layer the snow pack that's formed by the accumulation of snow um, creates what's called the subnivium which is the space between the bottom of the snow layer and the soil it's a little pocket and it's very important for plants and for creatures moving about under the snow because the snow is such a great insulator, it means that the air, and probably the, the top part of the soil, sits it around about zero degrees, sort of plus or minus one degree for the entire winter. So although it might be, you know, minus 20, minus 30 with wind chill above the snow, under the snow there's this cozy little pocket. It might not sound cozy to us, zero degrees, but it's relatively very cozy compared to being exposed right on those sort of alpine bluffs in the middle of winter. So if we take the snow away then, the, then the, uh, the soil is exposed to those very very cold temperatures and with the eggs only being a couple of centimeters under the surface will the eggs freeze if the air temperature drops to you know even 10 degrees below zero or are the eggs resilient that are they able to withstand those very cold temperatures and still develop anyway we don't know Um, but what we do know is that uh, we need to find out because the grasshoppers down here are very 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 numerous astoundingly numerous um, and important parts of the diets of lots of animals Including our old mates the mountain pygmy possums we see ravens eating them all the skinks eat them spiders eat them the alpine residents that provide a huge nutrient influx and make the the plant nutrient available higher up the food chain because of course grasshoppers are herbivores so we have the the big influx of bogong moths coming in through summer which provide a whole huge amount of nutrient to the higher trophic levels and also the bogong moth parasites and um, spiders hunting them in the caves. Um, Presumably a lot of the moths die on the bottom of the caves so that the nutrient can go straight into the soil, the soil decomposes and all that sort of thing. So we know the bogong moth numbers have crashed. If the grasshoppers start not being able to make it through their winters then we can see a fairly bleak picture for the, the insectivores. Of the Alps. So, we want to know the answer to the question of how susceptible the eggs are to different temperatures that reflect sort of snowy and snow free winters. Just coming past now, a beautiful old dead snow drum, just absolutely covered with lichen like a Christmas tree has been attacked by a toddler it's gorgeous from where i'm sitting i can uh, can see a lot of the dead snow guns from the 2003 fires that came through and were were so hot that they they killed them i think uh, a lot of them if i get it right a lot of them didn't really sprout so there is a lot of re-sprouting but there's also just a lot of tree skeletons standing standing waiting to fall I suppose and possibly making good habitat soon okay or soon and their uh, hollows form and all those sorts of things but uh, in 2019 2020 fires came extremely close to, uh, to where I'm used to working at the top of the Dead Horse Gap Trail. Um, at the top, about 1,900 metres, you can see, sort of looks like a high tide mark where the fires, the big mega fires, where they stopped just south of where I work, um, where I've been working for the last 15 years. And the little little sky hoppers, can't help but wonder what the next fires will bring, how soon they'll be, how intense they'll be, where they'll be. You know, the alpine region is not fast at recovering even though a lot of the plants will re-sprout still um it's slow it's necessarily slow because the growing season is short because the temperatures drop so it's a slow recovery up here and more frequent fires could could well change the landscape in some areas more trees to more shrubs as the climate warms the shrubs are pretty good at outcompeting a lot of the grasses and forbs it's possible that we will see quite dramatic changes in the next little while not to mention of course that if we do hit three degrees of warming by 2070 then we can expect something like a 96 percent reduction in snow which is for our alpine areas which is you know pretty close to no snow uh, what should we do about that what should we do with that information it doesn't look at the moment like we're doing much to mitigate that temperature increase it's disturbing amounts of inaction <laughs> and political faffing about particularly in this country so with the knowledge that we might you know be Pretty close to snow free in a little less than 50 years what should we do that's the question that biologists ecologists are left with and at some point the answer can't be collect more data might argue that now <laughs> could be that point or at least identify the data that you really need to make decisions as soon as possible on what to do with species problem is we don't have a very good understanding of how our alpine regions work, ecologically speaking. How species interact, what species provide in, in terms of the overall ecosystem, which ones if you pull them out could cause catastrophic collapse, which ones might be less influential on the overall functioning of the ecosystem. It's not clear some things that are clear, we know of course what species do a great deal of damage. There's no surprises there, horses, pigs, but even if we took those out, it's very difficult for us to say with a great deal of certainty that we don't need to worry about particular species. Oh yeah, these ones plenty of them they'll be right. We've heard all that before. We know that that doesn't stand up so one thing we're doing is trying to understand the susceptibility of species to climate change and the project we're down here working on this week is to try to understand how the insects that overwinter up here how a severe reduction in snow cover will affect their ability to survive If we lose the thermocolor Skyhopper and the other Skyhoppers, it's quite possible that we'll be losing a really important part of the food web. They're in such big numbers. They're probably a very important food source for creatures at higher trophic levels. But they're also most likely very important at keeping plants balanced or plant species balanced and in check. They're voracious herbivores. So they most likely very important because of just the huge numbers in which we find them. Just coming up to find the team. They're having to look for some more eggs. See how they went. How's it going? Got another
0: one. Hey, well done. Dr. Kate Umbers is with the University of Western Sydney.
1: (sighs) Almost back to the car. We sort of took an afternoon stroll that turned into having another look for some grasshopper eggs, and then we found some.
0: Oh boy. And you can hear more from Kate in the next episode of Off Track, where we'll be looking at the reality of insect conservation in Australia. And it started almost snowing on us, so we thought we might
1: head back to the car
0: again. I'm Ann Jones, and thank you to Kate again, who went above and beyond and recorded herself in a very cold environment while in the early stages of pregnancy, with good humour and did an absolutely magnificent job. Ready to uh, ready to go home, light the fire, and uh,
1: do a bit of post-processing, doing
0: some data entry, doing some sitting around, eating some good food. Get warm now and remember to rug up for next time. That's when I'll take you somewhere else. So the snow's melting and uh, yeah, instead
1: of the crunch from before, you can now hear a slosh (laughs) as I walk through muddy mostly melted snow. What you can also hear is the trees dripping so the it's just the water dripping off the leaves as the snow melts and it's um quite a beautiful sound to be around but you know, sort of snow melting is a bit well i guess it's what's coming up for us all isn't it it's a lot of, it's a lot of snow melting
0: you've been listening to an abc podcast